Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Candola and Will Dalton. How are you doing, guys? Good, thank you. Very good. How are you, Julian? Rubbish. <laughs> oh, what's wrong? Tell us. I had a terrible night's sleep. Oh, well, I have had for the past two, three nights. Because Was it a bad dream? No. Nah. No, my sons have got colds. So they're like coughing, oh, just hacking away oh, okay. all night and my keeping son, everybody awake. My son's awake. got a cold as well. Yeah, and now they're giving it to me. Must be a thing. And Oh dear. yeah. Oh dear. God, battle through. Hang in today, but I'll power on through. Anyway, that's not massively important. Let's do the news. So my item of news, I'm going to go first because I have decided to. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it's go important. It. It's mega, mega important, right? So this week is Mental Health Awareness Week in the United Kingdom. So I know listeners in the States will be confused because they'll be going, hang on, that's in October. Or hang on, that's in October. But actually it isn't. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant over here. Accent. Yeah. Thanks. Where, guys. where are they from? Australia. Shut up. That wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Indian. No. Anywho. <laughs> so yeah, mental health awareness week. In this country it happens in in May. And this year's theme is loneliness because it's actually a huge cause of mental health issues and something that we should be doing more to tackle in this country, even uh, especially with older people, but but everybody certainly has a part to play in all of this stuff. And mental health is it's critical, you know, for everybody. I don't mind saying that I've had had some mental health issues in the past and I have sought help for those and it's been immensely useful. I feel no shame in saying that and I think nobody should. You know, I think we should all be in a, in a place where we can say things like that these days. Just this week, we've had the glorious Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial where she's been banging on about how <laughs> oh what, seeing God. a grown man... Yeah, seeing a grown man cry is weird and it's very disappointing That's what she said, did she? Mm. Yeah, she was like, he cried in front of me. And I've never seen another grown man cry apart from my father at my mother's funeral or something. And I was just sitting there going, what? It sort of confirms my opinion. No, I won't say that. No, let's not. But, you know, it's an important point, right? That those kind of attitudes are still around and that mental health is not something to be ashamed of. And it's very, it's very, very important. So initiatives like Mental Health Week... Uh, absolutely go have a look at the website it's awesome it's probably worth saying that it's treated as a taboo topic in the asian community and it's quite prevalent there so definitely something that people should look for support in and there's no shame in doing that exactly yeah yeah and actually you should be you should be applauded for looking after your your, your mental health and the absolutely. mental health of others i mean there's just no two ways about it so yeah mentalhealth.org.uk for this one and i know that there is a different website for the american one which happens in october but yeah this is just the uk one uh, anyway that's my story who wants to go next jk do you want to go yep happy to do that so my story is about a robot that can taste the different stages of how much salt are in an egg when it's being cooked. <laughs> useful. Your what? Very yeah. useful. It's what everybody wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. Where do I buy it? So you can't because oh. uh, <laughs> it, it belongs to the University of Cambridge. So basically what they've got is they've developed a robot who has some type of sensor that can only test for the levels of salt in a egg whilst it's being cooked. I guess it can test... It can obviously time itself so that it can check whether the eggs are overdone. But this is a kind of important step in showing that they're a little bit step closer to being able to replace humans on the production line of creating food. Scrambled, poached, sunny side up. So I guess it can do any boiled. so far. Yeah. Well, actually, actually I'm not boiled? sure about boiled. you got to stick a probe into the egg. Yeah. So that's the thing. It does use a probe to test the uh, level of okay. salt. I'm not sure about boiled, actually, but it can definitely do the others. Uh, it does it at three different stages of the chewing process. So, yeah, quite scientific. 
Awesome. You can tell, again, my nerdy brain is just going, but how? Where do you put the probe? Yeah. Does it go in the white or does it go in the yolk? What's it? You know, it's like, oh dear, hang yeah. on now. I'm going to stop now. If it is one, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to have to <laughs> explore my nerdy, nerdy brain. But it wouldn't, it, if it's a single probe, would it just be testing the salt in one particular point no, of the. No, okay. it works in a grid like fashion. So uh, the probe, oh, okay. uh, yeah, it tests in, in different areas and it has a, what they call a saltiness sensor. Attached oh, to a robotic arm. Uh, need one of those for Twitter. Huh? I don't know. Yeah. So this. Okay. So to and the use case is that uh, yeah. a robot's going to cook for us. That's that's ultimately yeah. what it's. Yeah. That's the only thing that the the news report is suggesting. However, all of the findings from this is going into an AI paper, basically for Cambridge University, right? In their research for robotics, right? I'm not sure why it's an AI paper, but there you go. I suppose everything's AI now, isn't it? So, yeah. Well, okay. Presumably, you take the you take all the data that it produces, right, as a massive yeah. egg cooking yeah. data set, and then feed it into a. <laughs> AI slash MI AI type. algorithm, yeah. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. Out. And then spit out, presumably, something that's <laughs> racist towards egg. eggs. <laughs> if, if current MI systems are, or, and AI systems uh, yeah. are anything to go Prejudiced by, it'll be... in some way, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It'll yeah, prefer yeah. the white to the, to the yellow bit or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. yeah. I mean, the paper yeah, it's... is co-authored by Dr. Arsene Abdullali. So if anybody wants to read upon it, uh, Cambridge University. Contact him. Yeah. <laughs> All questions to him. How do you like your eggs, Doctor? Right, okay, excellent. Check well, check. your new story. Okay, mine's from MIT Technology Review. But it's been in the news a lot anyway. It was about a gene-edited pig heart that was given to a patient who was obviously dying and needed a transplant. The operation itself was a complete success, and the heart took... You know, and uh, uh, the reason it takes is because they've edited the genes of the heart to make it acceptable to the human. So I imagine the human thinks it's a human heart and therefore doesn't reject. Uh, and everything looked fine and, he, you know, it was brilliant. Uh, 40 days later, he's dead. And and it, it wasn't actually because of the rejection of the... the it wasn't the, the human body rejecting the heart. It's because the heart had a had a pig virus in it. The pig had contacted a virus. Mm. The heart had this virus. They didn't know about it. They put it in the human. The human, you know, didn't go, what the fuck is a pig's heart doing in my body? It said, what the fuck is this virus? And uh, unfortunately... Killed killed the patient, which is which is a real shame because it was such a successful transplant. Uh, uh, genetically modified, you know, it leads into the whole personalized medicine thing that we'll talk about. But, um, but a very interesting and unfortunately tragic article. Yeah, thoughts uh, with the family. I, I mean, that's uh, that's a very sad thing to happen after such a triumphant moment, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The reason they do this, you might be thinking, why are they transplanting pigs' hearts into humans? Well, it's it's to do with organ transplant. This, you know, very very long waiting list on very few organs, human organs, um, with a whole lot of ethical issues in it, you know, in terms of people jumping the queue and buying and going to different countries and all the rest of it. So it's sort of, it's a good thing to happen Mm. um, because uh, uh, not for the pig, (laughs) but good for humans in that, you know, there are no ethical issues about 
you know, killing animals for their, to harvest their organs in order to trans, transplant into, into humans. So it gets rid of that kind of that whole waiting list thing. So uh, very interesting technology, but yeah, sad, a sad, a sad outcome. Maybe, maybe not no ethical issues, but still less, I suppose, or different, or considered differently, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah, fascinating story. So uh, this week's that actually is quite a neat segue. I think you almost did that deliberately, Will. Um, I did. Into... <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? thought it? Yeah. Um, so it's your week this uh, this week and uh, or your month, I guess. And again, he's he's continuing to do uh, to do more and more segues into medicine because today's topic is about medicine. So personalised medicine specifically. So Will, you've been doing a bit of research on this. I've done a little bit of reading as well. But do you want to crack on and, and explain mm. what the topic's all about and why it's interesting? So personalised medicine. So we. We mentioned this, didn't we, in our when we talked about high performance computing? The sort Absolutely, of the hidden yeah, infrastructure, yeah. The hidden infrastructure by that's behind a number of amazing things, and personalized medicine is one of these. Personalized medicine, so it, it can be thought of one another one of those terms like AI or Internet of Things that you know is used a lot in the marketing of things to make them sound cool, but actually it's, it's quite a fairly it, it can be it, it can be a fairly ambiguous term. Right? What is personalized medicine? What does it mean? Really, when you get into it, it it's it, there's a focus on I don't know four things. Four things that I found. Four things that I found. One is genome sequencing and the implications of that. So you know, twenty three and Me, the app, is an example. If anyone's used that, another one is protein folding, and we could talk about that. That's a bit of a mindfuck. Ironically, AI algorithms is part of personalized medicine, and that's really there to make sense of the vast amounts of data that come out of genome sequencing and protein folding. And also the fourth thing, which is wearables, which is your real-time collection and analysis of data. Some cases, real-time diagnosis as well. And then they're bringing in other sensors and other things that they're looking at, which is like ECG scanning and blood pressure and all that stuff. And let's start there with wearables, because that's probably the easiest thing to understand. Fitbit, I do, you know, everyone's heard of Fitbit, right? 20 yeah. years ago or so, it started, started and, it, and, it, and it really started from a, being just a glorified pedometer, which is, you know, something that counts your steps, which I, I don't know, it must have been around for hundreds of years. It's now owned by Google, and you've also got Samsung and Garmin and other Apple are in the mix, and I'm sure others are. And basically, it's something that you just wear on. It's a wearable. You wear it on your wrist like you would wear a watch. And in fact, it is a watch, yeah? I suppose. You could say its primary function is is a watch, but has a whole lot of other sensors on it. Heart rate, a number of accelerometers uh, for orientation, gyroscope, GPS. Sleep patterns and breathing and stuff as well. Yeah, and then yeah. It, it uses all this data to analyze. And, and uh, the amazing thing about the way it collects its heart rate is it actually, you know, it's not a kind of sensor pulse that you strap, you know, the things you strap around your chest. Mm. Um, it uses light. Uh, and you can use, and then you can use this kind of light on the pulse that, that's within your veins to understand a lot of things beyond the heart rate. So you can start understanding your sleep patterns, and they're now looking at it to understand your your blood pressure. There is a means, there is a, a way to, from that particular sensor, to understand the blood pressure. So all this is great because you get this real-time analysis, you get this real-time collection of data, you get the analysis of your data from the watch and then from the subsequent apps. And the data is starting to be approved by associations and organizations from various countries. So FDA, for example, has started to approve some of this sensor data. And mm. you see also start some of the healthcare um, professions 
starting to use the data when you go for things like your yearly health check. So I do like Boopa and your yearly health check. It asked me to upload my or link to my Fitbit. Yeah. And it yeah. uses all that data in order to give you an assessment of the health. Right. Huh. And then, and then some of the, and then it couples that, that kind of wearable data with a blood test and all the various metrics it gets from that to give you an overall picture of your health. Well, that's awesome, right? Yeah. Health insurers are using this kind of stuff to reduce your premiums as well at the moment. I was going to ask about that because that's a bit like the whole having a black box thing installed in your car to bring your, much, uh, yeah. your driving premiums down, isn't it? But also, it should also be said, that kind of data is open to use like it was in the driving cases that we had a while ago. It's open to misuse as well, where people are refused policies or quoted ridiculous premiums or whatever because of the data that's been collected on them and that that data can be used without their permission when deciding whether to underwrite somebody. So I guess there are some issues in this area, but sorry, I don't want to derail us. No, that's and that's an excellent point. As with all data, you know, there's just privacy issues with it. And when you look at your health data, of which mm. wearables is one, but then once when I talk about genome sequencing and things like that, you know, that's it's, that's all really sensitive personal information data, personal identifiable is it personal identifiable or personal information? It's personal identifiable, isn't it? Per- personally identifiable information, yeah, PII, right, effectively. Yeah. All, that da- all that data, so that is really sensitive PI data, I'll say PI. Yeah. Um, really sensitive PI data, which, which has a whole load of privacy issues. And as you rightly say, insurance companies are picking up on this data in order to start assessing your premium, which is like, yeah. that just sounds really unethical to me. Mm. And I, do, would you approve that? Is there a checkbox that says, actually, please do not sell my information to health insurance companies so I can get charged an excessive premium? I bet it's just for excessive as well. I bet they don't like. Make it cheaper because you've got a really low resting heart rate or something like that. Yeah, if you're a, if you're an alpine skier or something whose resting heart yeah, rate is like right. two beats per minute or something, and you can yeah, you can yeah, yeah. Uh, then they're not yeah. going to bring it down, are they? Yeah, they give you the health insurance for free or something like that. Mm. Right, genome sequencing. That so that's this, you know another part of of personalized medicine is genome sequencing. This allows us to peer into the makeup, see who we really what we really made up of, which unsurprisingly is unique for all of us. It's genome sequence is actually the order of your DNA. Yeah? And with DNA, there are actually trillions of combinations and variants in your, in, your, in your genome. So 23andMe, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the apps and is one of several, which does a partial sequencing of your DNA. It doesn't do your whole DNA, it just does a partial. Um, I don't know if anyone's used it. I've used it. it there's privacy issues comes out of that as well, and it sort of tells you whether you've got Viking blood or not, as the case may be for me. Will it work on me, Indian descendant? It works on everyone. It works on everyone. Although, interesting, no, the, the whole... Have they got enough data to be able to kind of tell yeah, me? I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I sort of got what you, what you were asking there. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. so it's very uh, white Western, I suppose, okay. if that's a category, orientated in terms of how it analyzes that data. Because okay. as you rightly implied, you know, cultural differences in terms of how people you know how you interpret that data it's different it's different across cultures so yes it 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 is it is quite it does have it does have different ethnic groups but it is quite sort of white western i suppose in 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 its orientation and the data that it collects it collects about seven hundred thousand data points through a person's genome there are about three billion okay 
which is 100%. So you can see the kind of percentage that it collects. Mm. But it is interesting in terms of it points you at, you know, whether you've got particular health risks, you know, whether you react to different, you know, foods, whether you've got a particular risk of getting certain diseases. So I don't know if you've know if you've heard of the I think it's called BRCA, BRCA, BRCA variant of the of your genome. Have you has anyone heard of that? Yeah, BRCA. yeah, I can't remember what it's all about, but yes, I've heard. Yeah, so it's it's about breast cancer ultimately. Yes, and, that's and, it. Mm. Yeah, and you and the increased risk of increased chance your increased risk of getting breast cancer yeah emma um, my, uh, emma who works with us my wife she um she had a friend who was a carrier of that gene and i think had a double mastectomy without any symptoms as a yes a, purely yeah. as a, a precautionary measure because her grandmother and mother both died of breast cancer in their 50s i think so mm. she had both breasts removed but it was because she had that BRCA gene um when they did uh testing on her she she definitely had it and so she went right that's it you know did she did she actively test it or was it through no was so it by when, accident because obviously, of something else? Well, no, it was because obviously she'd had two female relatives die young of breast cancer, so she knew her her risk was extremely high. Mm. Um, and then when she went to talk to the doctor about this or whatever, they they did this test to find out if she was carrying this gene. And as soon as they found out she was, they were like, right, you know, your your, your options are this and this, but we strongly encourage mm. this. If that makes sense, so that that was mentioned. Mm-hmm. as the, re- the one of the primary drivers rather than it just being well your mum and grandmother both did so you can probably have them removed if you want as a precaution done out kind of thing it was much more like no 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 you are definitely carrying this gene therefore mm. let's go you know yeah and i don't know what the percentage increase in your risk is once you have these this BRCA variant I, I is but it's high and it's I, high enough it, yeah. for people to have as you say Julian you know these these operations to remove their breath which is you know it sounds it sounds quite hard doesn't it it mm. sounds like wow that's 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 but actually you want to know these things right you want to know these things early especially for cancers you want to know these things early in order that you can have a choice to do something about it it's usually better to have these parts of your body removed and have to face the cancer if anybody's known anybody to have to go through that journey of suffering with cancer it can be very very difficult yeah well it's also about i mean for this particular person it was about you know time with her children and everything else you know she'd already Mm -hmm. had children by this point so she was like well i'm done breastfeeding you know i would rather see my kids and i can always have reconstructive surgery and so on and these days there's a lot less stigma around having to have a mastectomy as there should be you know so Mm. she she did it and is you know absolutely fine so it's a good use case for showing it working you know in in practice in some of the gene mutations so i think in in some uh, dementia there is a particular gene that if you've got this particular a particular gene mutation yeah, if you've got this mutation, you're a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent going to get a particular disease related to dementia if you've got it. The unfortunate thing about that is, is as you probably know, dementia you can't cure dementia. Yeah, you can. I suppose you can treat it to slow it down once you've had it, and there are potentially lifestyle changes and potentially, you know meditation or those kind of treatments that you could do before dementia in order to maybe to mitigate this mm. but that one become that one surfaces interesting dilemmas about do i really want to know about this if mm. i can't treat it yeah what, what yeah. you can treat it in certain ways but you, it's not a 
I'm not going to get it if I do this, right? Mm. It's 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 a it's a kind of like oh my god, I'm going to get this, you know? And and does that make does that sort of like add mental stress? It's a very personal decision, isn't it? So for some personalities, they would like to know, and they try to plan their remaining time in a way to to kind of allow them to do what they want to do by then. But some people, I think that it might become a burden and start to kind of affect their quality of life just by knowing, almost anticipating the worst. And stuff. So it's a very Indeed. personal decision. Yeah, it is a personal, yeah. Yeah. What's all this got to do with tech? Well, I suppose genome sequencing, there's, you know, advanced tech in the sequencing part of it. If you looked at the first genome sequence many, many years ago, I can't I don't know when it was. The first genome sequence cost a billion dollars, a billion dollars. It now costs 500 to do a whole genome sequence. It took 13 years to do the first genome sequence. You can now do it in 20 odd minutes. They're doing like 1,000 genomes per week now, whole genome sequencing, yeah, not the partial that 23andMe does. And then you start thinking about the data, right? So it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's 300 gigabytes, 300 gigabytes per genome, right? If you're multiplying that by the world population, genome sequence, you only need to sequence once. Yeah, it's not something that you keep on doing. It doesn't change. Yeah, so actually that 300 gigabyte of, of genome sequence data for you, yeah, is your 300 gig. But mm. once you multiply it by, you know, people in the world, you know, you're talking zettabyte, zettabyte. A zettabyte is like byte, kilo, mega, giga, tera, peta, exa, zeta. <laughs> Where's there Yotta? You I thought Yotta was before Yotta Zeta. Yotta is after Zeta. Oh, it's after Yotta is after Zeta. And each one is a hundred times, a thousand times bigger than the, the, the previous one. Yeah? So mm-hmm. you go bike, you know, huge amounts of data yeah, mm-hmm. for, for, for that. So, and then you talk about well, how, how we store in this data. Yeah, you know, your big data techno- technology, the analytics of that data. There are cloud services now that talk about big data, talk about analytics, but vast amounts of data. But storage is cheap, right? Yes. So, so can I move this on slightly to how you apply this, right? So, so we've talked a lot about how you sequence the genome and what you, you know, what you then got that data sitting there, but there are things you can then do with that, right? So one thing that I thought was really interesting was the, the main area that personalized medicine actually being personalized for an individual seems to be taking off is in cancer treatment. Because mm. obviously cancers are very different. I don't know whether you bumped into this stuff, Will, but basically for an individual with their individual cancer, in theory, you can sequence their the genetic code for that individual and then cancer, which ultimately is a genetic mutation, which causes it. You can target specific drugs that are going to work for your particular tumor, for example, based on the personalization data that you've got from sequencing someone's genome. And that is is an extraordinary thing, you know, to think about rather than just having to kind of go through different combinations of drugs and faff about and, and you know, target as best you can. You can literally zero in on the perfect pharmaceutical product or even create a new pharmaceutical product in theory, although that comes with implications to the big pharma companies because it's very expensive to do, obviously, and you're only doing it for for one person. It can't be used on somebody else. But it is fascinating how you would then take this and practically apply it. And things like protein folding as well, it's important to kind of relate them back to the real world. I don't know whether you had any bits and pieces around that, Will. Yeah, definitely important to relate it back to the real world. But genome sequencing introduces interesting, interesting moral dilemmas, doesn't it? Or mm, interesting personal and dilemmas. Yeah, yeah mm. and, and challenges. But the tech's there now, right? As with everything, the tech is before the kind of the moral challenges. 
isn't yeah. it? The yeah. legal challenges. The text there to generate the data on a person, I'm not sure how easy it is to then produce treatments off the back of that data. I don't know whether they've got the production time and cycle and everything else down for that. I don't think we're at the point yet where we can... I could be wrong, but I don't think we're at the point well, where we can synthesize a, yeah. a pill for, for you or me, like an individual one yeah. that says Julian or Will on the side of it, um, yeah. which is Tinder. I don't, and I don't DNA, think you can do and that genome yet. sequencing and DNA is sort of understanding you, isn't it? It's not treating mm. you. It's yeah. not creating the medicines. It's understanding how you're going to react to things, how you're going to react to food. What mm. is your likelihood of getting such and such? Yeah. In yeah. order then you can treat yourself in various different ways. Cancer's the really obvious one I found. Another one that's interesting there is about the respiratory system and people with chronic conditions like asthma, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, things like fibrosis, pulmonary fibrosis, things like that, and lung cancer as well. So that's a system that's particularly tricky to treat by all accounts that I that I read anyway. And it's interesting because apparently Again, using singular biomarkers that can be found through genetic analysis and that kind of stuff. Again, you can target treatments in a way that it's impossible to do in any other way. So that's fascinating. It's not just about treating cancer. It's, there's, there's other things that you can do with it as well. And another one that I found was around population screening and biobanks effectively. So the use of basically multiple different imaging techniques and molecular scale information about patients being obtained and then those biomarkers being used in sort of big data kind of applications in order to predict population trends for types of diseases and stuff like that. Mm. That's fascinating. Yeah. So again, with, you know, we're back into AI and MI and all that kind of stuff, but also ethical issues around that, right? So, yeah. 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 I mean, it's just lots of data in it and then analytics of it in order to help you. Will all of this land into my GP surgery anytime soon and allow <laughs> me to kind of walk so. in there and tell them, actually, I've got a headache. I keep getting headaches. Can you check my DNA and tell me if it's something more sinister? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, that's the Theranos use case, right? That's the, you know, the big scandal and everything. That's the sort of the, the Nirvana vision that they were trying to sell, oh, which all went so spectacularly blood, wrong. It? Yeah, it was. It was, yeah. right? But it was, it was aiming to use, I mean, one of, when I was researching this, one of the words I came across, which I suspect is not a coincidence at all, was Theranostics. So Theranostics is a, is a personalized, <laughs> uh, the, the term, I believe, rather than the company. So Theranostics is a personalized approach to treating cancer using similar molecules for both imaging and therapy. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Right, yeah. So, so someone's already tried to do this on a mass market kind of scale, right? To have mm. this kind of um, genetic information testing available in a small, easily consumable, almost literally consumable, I think, if I'm remembering rightly, uh, sensor. And, and now she's gone to jail. <laughs> and it's, it put a lot of egg on faces across all of America, this being Elizabeth Holmes, the, the CEO and everything. And it was a complete mm. mess. But the concept is great, right? If you could get it to work, it's just the tech isn't there. Yeah, mm. oh yeah. Well, that's what she sold, right? She sold the dream. Yeah, she sold, she sold the, the dream. concept. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the just, technology was just was not up. there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's made up. Let's be fair, in a way, you know, Silicon Valley's built a lot of dreams, right? And then the technology, you know, they go, they, they sell that, they sell it, right? And their technology might not be there. She pushed it too far. But you know that's not a model that's you, that that her her model and her approach isn't unique. A lot of people in Silicon Valley have got very 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 rich off fake it till you make it. 
right? Yeah, um, exactly. And, that's you know, the, that's the term. There you go. people like, you know, I mean, look at Elon Musk, you know, when he started up SpaceX and everyone was like, you're never going to land your boosters. What are you talking about? Still dude? Like it's, you know, what? No, he has. He's landing <laughs> boosters all the time. But you know what I'm saying, right? So <laughs> sometimes people do sell a dream and then make it happen and it works out for them. And sometimes you get Elizabeth Holmes. There are other challenges with this stuff as well. So the a couple of the interesting ones I came across were implementation. So you talked about how complex and how big the data set is for your genome or my genome. So even with an error rate as low as one per 100 kilo bases, when you're processing a human genome, can mean that you have up to 30,000 errors, right? So that's about the lowest error rate that they can get it to at the moment. And that means that if you did your complete genome, there would be 30,000 errors in that. Do you want people putting drugs in your body (laughs) when there are 30,000 data errors in the data set that they've used? You're doing that now, right? I want people to put my I want people to put drugs in my body now and they have no understanding of my genome. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so so thirty thousand errors is better than three billion errors, which is yeah. basically, you know, the, the sequence. And it's always gonna be actually that's an interesting point, because what they do actually is for whole genome sequence, they they sequence you more than once. And I think, you know, they'll they'll mm. sequence you more than once in order to eradicate those errors. So it's not like a one-time thing. It will be like six or ten things, ten times. And then they use, I'm going to say it, AI, AI algorithms in order mm. to eradicate the errors and then you yeah. get a much more accurate sequence. Mm. Yes, yeah, exactly right. But it's it's making sure that people are aware of the limitations, I guess, of the tech and that it isn't magic. You know, there are there are going to be some some issues there. You've got things like, we've already talked about the, privacy and confidentiality issues with this kind of data regula- mm. uh, regulatory oversight. But another one that I found really, really fascinating was the intellectual property rights to your own genes and your genome <laughs> data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. this is great, right? But apparently in 2013, the US Supreme Court ruled that natural occurring genes cannot be patented, thank God. Mm. But if you synthesize DNA or change it enough that's considered synthetic, sure, you can go ahead and patent that. That could be like a Will V2, couldn't it? <laughs> Except I've now got hair. Oh, wow. <laughs> That'd be scary, wouldn't it? It, it would. Like a big, a big 80s... Whoa, what have you done to bit... the original Will? Yeah, yeah I'd, yeah, I'd have a like huge a big perm. haircut. I'd have a ponytail and a perm, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, re- I'm reminded very much of the Jasper Carrot joke that the reason they're called ponytails on men is because when you lift one up, you always find an arsehole underneath. <laughs> <laughs> Don't grow a ponytail on these. All respect for you. Sorry to any ponytail, ponytail wearing. uh. (laughs) But yes, I was joking, by the way. Don't take offense, anybody out there. But yeah, the the regular... They go all our ponytail listeners. I know. I'm really sorry, guys. I didn't actually mean anything by it. Not going to have anybody left. It's his joke, not mine. (laughs) I, I, I would love a ponytail. I just want to make that clear. And also, I had a ponytail when I was younger and had hair. So that, that should bring back the ponytail. You should business. dig out that picture and put it on uh, our social media. <laughs> should I? Okay. Please yeah, do. do that. Yeah, I'd love Before that. Before and after. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll put it up. <laughs> Anywho, so um, yeah, regulatory oversight is is a big one. Intellectual property rights to your own genes, potentially. And then also biases. So we, we actually touched on this by, by happenstance, you know, because Jatinder asked, would it work on me earlier on? And there is a big worry, and there are a lot of projects going on at the moment with personalized medicine to try and make sure that the analysis is not just white people in privileged countries, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So yeah, huge problem. Again, you know, we keep on doing it with AI and MI applications, don't we? Just feeding in predominantly white, predominantly hetero, cisgendered, blah, 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 data sets, and then wondering why the system ends up biased. So it's it's another risk. And it's probably needed more in the less developed countries where there's probably less of that demographic of people, I guess, to be able to kind of prevent mass kind of issues from disease spreading and health issues. Yeah, It goes back to economics a little, doesn't it, ultimately and sadly? We need to look beyond, we need to improve our world economic model so it's not just about money. We're considering mm. a lot of other variables and we should definitely do a podcast on the <laughs> likes of donut economics. We and need to like get that. Kate Rayworth on, don't we? Because, Kate, if you're listening, come on. You're not going to. Look what happened Look what happened to the vaccines for COVID-19, right? Yeah. It was the rich world hogging all the viruses. Mm. Yeah, and it's only now that they've recently, AstraZeneca was meant to, was, 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 on the proviso, Oxford University, it was Oxford University, wasn't it? Yeah, gave it not gave it, but made it really cheap and put in, and then put a put a, a, a partnership in place with one of the pharmaceutical companies. It was on the proviso that this would be a world global vaccine for mm. everybody. Yeah, and did that happen? Uh, not really, did it? It's only now that it's gradually being distributed across these countries. And until we until we start measuring things beyond just pounds and pence, right, it's always going to be the case. And it will always be the case with this because personalised medicine, genome sequencing, protein folding, wearables, AI algorithms, Who's where's this all originating from? It's the, it's the rich world, isn't it? Mm. And they'll want a return on their investment, won't they? And to do that, they're going to sell it initially at premium to rich people. And unfortunately, yeah. a lot of rich people are in the Western world, and, and that's just the, that's, that's the, that's the dysfunction of our economic model as it stands. But in, in also, though, the flip side of it is that without the, the Western world and people getting involved, and often people getting involved when they have no financial incentive to do so, so people who build protein folding rigs and compete with each other to try and fold the most protein data and burn their own electricity and huge amounts of their own money to do it, are doing it because they know there's something better that can be achieved through doing it because it's a sure. it's an altruistic yes. thing to do. It's a good thing to do for the better, betterment of humanity. So there yes. are also people out there. There are individuals, are, of course, there are, and 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 well, and it, but and it's, it's a global full of individuals. Yeah, so, yes, so protein yes. folding is a global initiative. Where, where I wouldn't say a pharmaceutical companies are known for their. Um... Oh no 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 no! <laughs> do you know what I mean? They certainly want to make a buck. No, they that's do. why. That's why we've got such huge amounts of variance in terms of. What, what is it? Anti, antibacteria, isn't it? That's not the right word, is it? Antibiotics. Antibiotics or antibiotic-resistant drugs, right? Is because there's no there's no investment in it, because there's no money in it. I'm sure we I'm sure we'd have additional drugs to counter that. Yeah, and it's getting so investment. much harder to find Look them because people are abusing them. Look what happened to COVID-19. Look what happened to COVID-19. It was sorted in a year, unprecedented. Yeah. Also very helpful that it was the 19th variant of a well-known disease, though, don't forget. So that's the main reason it was as quick as it was. And it was built off mRNA technology as well. Correct. So mRNA technology is used in like, you know, genome sequencing to protein folding. mRNA is in the mix there. Yeah, and that's one of the things that comes out of personalized medicine. So yes, there is, there was known technology that they harnessed. Yes, definitely. 
Yes, absolutely. And they were able to produce a vaccine, which was basically the same as previous ones with a few slight mm. tweaks and so on and so forth. Anywho, we are we are running short on time. Protein folding is a topic we should probably come back to at some point because it's quite yeah, interesting in and of itself. Yeah, that's fascinating, that one. Yeah, yeah. And the way it's done as well without high performance competing in the usual way, but with distributed stuff, you know, and uh, all across uh, what's effectively like a a benign botnet, I guess. So maybe there's a That's maybe there's something in yeah. that, and also the SETI data, the uh, search for extraterrestrial life, and all that. But we can come back to that on a future date. Mm-hmm. Let's start off though with the recommendations for this week. Unless you guys have got any final parting thoughts on personalized medicine, I love it. <laughs> it's a future, isn't it? It's another one of these things where we can definitely, say it's definitely coming. Definitely. And yep. big ethical questions around what value is there to a human life, and if it costs a million quid to personalize a drug to save somebody who's going to foot the bill and so on and so forth. So very interesting topic. Recommendations then. Will, did you want to go first with yours this week? Okie dokie. Love, Death and Robots. Yes, a Netflix series from a company, from a studio that used to do computer games or still does computer games, I'm sure. Call of Duty. Anyone heard of that? They're involved <laughs> in that. Blur, Blur Studios. Love, Death and Robots is basically, it's animation. Okay, so that might put off some people. It certainly put off my wife. But what they do is they have each um, episode, they have different script. It's the general theme, love, death, and robots, right? But you've got different scripts. You have different animation, animating techniques and animators. Some are hyper-realistic animation to quite, some is quite abstract. You have different directors on them. And each is an 18-minute length. And it just a whole different varies of topics. A lot of science fiction, so there you go, love that. Fantasy, horror, comedy. And as I said, a kind of loose theme of love, death, and robots <laughs> that runs through it. It's 18 certificate. A lot of apocalyptic scenes and, and series within it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I won't give you some examples, but Love, Death and Robots out on Netflix. Yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly support that given I recommended that on a previous episode of the podcast. <laughs> oh, did you? Sorry. I'm pretty sure I did. But yeah, no, um, it's definitely worth revisiting it because I think the third season's about to launch. So I, I love this. I think it's brilliant. But I think, yeah, there's been two seasons so far and I think I saw that the third season's out this month or something like that or it might already be out. Yeah, I think I've only seen two. I think the third one's coming yeah. out. Yeah, I've, I've only watched... There's only two available on Netflix in the UK at the moment. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's out very soon. But yeah, there are some cracking episodes in there. Some that are a bit weaker, but there are some that I think about pretty often. Brilliant, brilliant series. So my recommendation is is a song, actually. Not because I love the song necessarily, but because I like the message behind it and how it makes me feel. So it's a song called It's Okay Not To Be Okay by Marshmallow uh, featuring Demi Lovato. Not not artists that I'd listen to a lot of the time, if I'm honest. But um, <laughs> I didn't have you as a uh, no. Demi Lovato type of. No, <laughs> honestly, like being, I'm going to put my hands up to being completely ignorant as to what else she's done. I don't think mm, I, if I, I have heard other Demi Demi Lovato songs, I don't know. I don't I know need them. To Google and, that right now. Cool. Uh, actually, no. I I think she did a song for Frozen. Maybe I can't. Anyway, whatever. Oh, like, awesome! Even better. I don't <laughs> love Frozen. I don't know the uh, the artists really, but it's it's perfectly it chimes perfectly with Mental Health Awareness Week because the song is is basically it starts off quite slow and sort of thoughtful and a bit down, and then goes into a much more upbeat kind of cadence as the the chorus comes in, which is all about 
it's okay not to be okay. You know, if you're down and you feel ashamed, then don't worry, just talk to somebody and get them to say it's okay not to be okay. And I think that that is a really, really good message. And I find myself listening to it, even though it's not really my kind of music fairly regularly, especially if I'm feeling quite down. So yeah, mm. it's good. It's jaunty. And it, it, nice. it lifts nice. your mood if you're in a bad mood because of the message behind it. And that's good. There's something about music, isn't it? I don't know what it is. It's like... It's a like when you hear something and it takes you back to a memory. That's amazing yeah. how music does mm. that. It's like mm. it's the, just the sound of the music. You would have mm. forgotten the memory long ago, but that sound makes you feel something or, or mm. takes you back to that something. It's, it must be something cognitive in that. Yeah, and I think also I'm – so I notice that I am somebody who listens to lyrics a lot and can't help but absorb them. Like I can sing a song back to you after I – I mean, badly, I'm a terrible singer, but – I can sing a whole song Try, back go, to you. Go now. After, yeah. No. Just give us a sample. Yeah. After yeah, no. I have, after I I've think heard the viewers want to hear it. I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No. Um, <laughs> I, I can repeat a song back to you almost verbatim after I've heard it like maybe three times. And wow. I, I don't know. I, I just, wow, like, that's, that's just incredible. the way my brain works. Mm. My son's yeah, yeah. the same. You've got good recall, have you? Of of pointless things, <laughs> only useless <laughs> information. But the thing I, is, though, people that have very good recall always say that. They say, yes, I got very good bit off point. But actually, you've just got, you've just got very good recall. Well, yeah, I, yeah but only, uh, only for certain things, right? I can't remember where my next dentist appointment is. But, but because, <laughs> so I notice a lot of people when they listen to songs, like Emma's very like this, don't listen to the lyrics, really. They kind of wash over them and, and it doesn't mm. sink in and they just like mm. a song for its tune or its melody or whatever. I, mm-hmm. I in this case, I'm saying the opposite. I'm not really all that bothered about the music. It's, it's the the lyrics and the, the the feeling that it evokes with those words to the music in me is great. And I think it will probably work for other people. You'll love Leonard Cohen. Then. He's all, he's, he oh, can't, yeah. he can't mean, sing you know, a note, that, that man, but his, his it, lyrics it, are really it, powerful. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, obviously, hallelujah and so on and so forth. But um, but yeah, anyway, so that's my recommendation. Jatinda, now that you've managed to unmute yourself, did you want to go next? Yeah, um, after something so deep, I'm not sure that my recommendation will be like as effective, but I'd like to recommend people drink pineapple Fanta. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Why is that? It's not something you can find on the shelves of your high street or your regular supermarket you have to look online for it i think it's only available in certain countries you can get it in the uk now but it's really nice and it's different and there's probably not many other fizzy drinks out there that are like pineapple fanta whereas like coke is like pepsi is like tesco coke and all that kind of stuff so yeah that's all it is. Fanta, pineapple, pineapple, pineapple Fanta. Fanta, yeah. Because Fanta's originated in orange, wasn't it? I think that was yeah. That it started off like that, flavor. yeah. And then they went to like apple, Randoms. I think, or something like that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. but pineapple okay. isn't a conventional fizzy drink flavor either. So no, but you can get pineapple juice, right? Can't you? Yeah, in cartons. You can, yeah, you've always you had that. that. That's always yeah. been a thing. Okay, fizzy pineapple Fanta. Yeah, got to give that a go then. Life-changing moment. Wow. Life-changing, is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While listening to J- JD's um, musical choice as well. Well, hey, <laughs> you know what? experience yeah. there. Yeah. If, yeah, if, yeah. if you end up listening to It's Okay Not watching To Be Okay. Watching Love, Death and Robots. Watching Love, <laughs> yeah. Death and Robots <laughs> yeah. and chugging yeah. back a Fanta and it puts your mental health in a good place, then yeah. double thumbs up. I think up. that's a thing. Yeah. That's a combination. We should get people who are listening, yeah? Please do that combination and feedback to us. And let us know how, how you, you feel on. after. Yeah, how you get on. <laughs> <laughs> if if you hate 
hate all of those things and then feel dreadful. Don't do that. Or if you're allergic <laughs> to pineapple, don't do that. <laughs> do not encourage that. No, obviously not. And then we're really sorry, but we hope that someone out there gets a mental health boost. We hope you survived. With all that said, I think that's the show, guys. So thanks very much. It's been a pleasure as always. So if you want to write in, we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us. It will be great. We are on ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com. On Twitter, we are at ddklimited with limited spell out in full. And on LinkedIn, we are Dalton Day Candola. So thanks very much, guys. It's been fun once again, and we will catch you all in a month. Thanks very much. Whole month. Cheers. Bye.